We have to go back! Everybody and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And Santa's real? We don't know, but we are reviewing the court drama uh, Christmas movie, All, All Things That I Want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street. And Ricky, you watched a black and white version, right? Uh, yes, but that was because I hadn't paid, uh, what they do if you don't pay your internet is that they downgrade you to black and white films. I see. Yes. It's a premium subscription. Yeah. Just there were two colorized versions of this and I've seen multiple versions of the movie we watched. Yes. Um, and on top of that, there are the remakes right. of it. So to be clear about what we watched, we watched a black and white version of the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street. Yes, everyone okay. was wearing trench coats and uh, fedoras and talking really quick. Oh, I watched the Investment Bureau. Or what was it? <laughs> Adjustment Bureau. Adjustment Bureau. That's what it was. Dang it. Uh, and this is also streaming on Disney Plus. Uh, so if that also helps narrow down your search, if you want to watch this movie to take part in the conversation, that's how this was seen, at least by me. Uh, I'm sure Grayson owns this on on several mediums. My mom does, which I can go into. But yeah, my mom owns a lot of versions of this movie. Uh, I watch this on Disney Plus as well, though. It's just so con- What I'm going to get a DVD player? You're going to ask Santa Claus for a DVD player in 2020? I'm going to hook a DVD player up to my computer? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I watched it on Disney Plus and uh, yeah, terribly convenient. I also think it was terribly convenient because uh, listeners of the podcast may have realized we were gone for a few weeks. And so we watched this movie over the course of like 15 days. Yep. Um, But it's good to be back. And I believe this episode is releasing on Christmas, which I don't know if we've ever really done an on Christmas release. I think you're right. Uh, And don't feel bad. You don't have to get us anything, but this is your Christmas gift. Yes, stores are closed. Yeah, yeah. It's too late for you to get us anything. So Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, So if you are unfamiliar with this movie, or at the very least this version of the movie, let me uh, take you back. So this is a 1947 film uh, originally uh, titled... The Big Heart, that was the script that Maureen O'Hara was first shown. Uh, And the original title of the movie was called Christmas Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, But the Christmas part was dropped with all references to the holiday uh, being removed from the marketing. See, uh, this is the 1940s. They're making movies. And they wanted to release this movie in May, the summer. Uh, And I have a quote (laughs) from an executive Uh, Which is basically the idea that uh, studio head Daryl F. uh, Zanuck insisted that it be released in May, arguing that more people go to movies in warmer weather. So if you look up uh, on Wikipedia, you'll see one of the original posters that they had where they were focusing more on Maureen O'Hara and John Payne. And you have (laughs) 
Edmund Gwynn way in the background uh-huh. as Santa, and they they are just very loosely alluding to this being a Christmas Iron movie, Man which is just Iron Man three. <laughs> like usually, if you go by uh, what was it uh, Fox Family, ABC Family, and now Freeform, if you go by their Christmas standards. You don't need a lot of things to qualify it for a Christmas movie. Rarely do you see the opposite <laughs> trying to be played. Of just like, it's, right. it, it is a Christmas movie, but it's not that much of a Christmas movie. It's like, it's so, it focuses on Santa Claus. Yeah, it's like, what, what, what's your not Christmas movie yeah. about? The identity of Santa it's Claus. It's a court drama. Santa. Oh, sounds interesting. Court, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Very much style like To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With Santa Claus. Oh, who's on trial? Oh, Santa. Mm. Sounds pretty mm. darn Christmassy. But, you know, maybe it paid off for them because this movie got such a huge both public and critical reception um, that, I mean, it, so it won the Oscar, the Oscar for Best Actor oh. in a Supporting Role. For most Christmassy, <laughs> they created the category. Best Actor in a Supporting Role went to Edmund Gwen, Santa. Um, and when he accepted the award, he said, "I now I know there is a Santa Claus. So that's, that's really sweet. Um, and he put on 30 pounds for the role. So glad it paid off uh they also won the oscar for best writing best original story to to valentine davies story uh and then they also won for or best writing screenplay so back then story and screenplay were separate now we just decide that they should both work they were nominated as well they didn't win but were nominated for ricky best picture best movie like the movie best picture best picture not just the christmas category no not even the musical comedy category that some awards shows have best picture nominated for it um and then in the golden globes it won best supporting actor again for edmund gwynn and best screenplay george seaton so big movie big big movie very surprising they tried to downplay the christmas elements I, I just thought that was very fascinating. But like you said, like in 2005, it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Which is also why they re- did the recolorization of it in 2006, oh. which is like a much better version than the 1985 colorization that they did. Nice. It's cleaner. Yeah, they add all kinds of droids <laughs> and um, Jabba's in it. It's really well done. Uh, well, I mean, they, they preserved it for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Uh, and so that's kind of the a little behind the scenes on the making of this movie. Uh, when it was released uh, with a budget of six hundred and thirty thousand uh, dollars, it was interesting because they only have the box office in reference to United States rentals. Uh, but it went on to make two point seven million dollars in U.S. rentals, which I think is absolutely fascinating if you uh look at the original little playbill for um uh top grosses of variety in 1947 miracle on 34th street made some bank and so um this was a huge huge movie uh, and a lot of people often remember this as the other famous heartwarming christmas movie from the 1940s after it's a wonderful life uh and it <laughs> 
this the whole premise of the movie is you have someone who hires a Santa uh, for the Thanksgiving Day Parade, which BT dubs, this was shot. The whole Thanksgiving Day Parade scene was shot during the actual Macy's Day Parade. Like, they had one chance, one shot to get this, mm. uh, and they did it. So th- I thought that that was really, really fascinating. And Edmund Gwynn had played Santa in a Macy's Parade. Life imitating art. Yeah. Art imitating life. They said, get me that Santa. We're going to make a movie. The Macy's element's really interesting, though, because... Macy's and Gimbel's, you know, real stores, very real product placement. Yep. They didn't show this to them and they didn't officially sign off until the movie was done. No way. And they were like, all right, <laughs> here it is. This is how we're presenting it. You have to be kidding me. No. And they were both like, yeah, thumbs up. This is good. Uh, but if they had said no, they were planning to have to re-edit it and cover out all the references and record over. Which is no small feat because at one point in time, like, because this is my first time watching this version of the movie. At one point in time, at least in the first half of the movie, they say Macy's more times per minute than they say Christmas or Santa Claus. Yeah, so if you think removing a mustache is hard, try taking Macy's (laughs) at a miracle on 34th Street. That's what they were prepared to do. I cannot believe that. I was convinced that Macy said... You can make a movie about us under one condition. Macy's, Macy's, Macy's. Like, they they say, but what will Mr. Macy's think? Oh, well, what Mr. Macy's will think is probably something that will be in support of Macy's and Mr. Macy's and the whole Macy's family. Oh, that was a direct quote. No exaggeration. Yeah. They had to be sweating (laughs) when they were showing them this, being like, oh, please like this. and, And that was something else that I did not know about this movie just right out the gate because... The movie is called Miracle on 34th Street because I'm just thinking like it's like yeah the mo- a synonymous title would be just like Christmas in Manhattan but no Macy's is on 34th Street like when they show this little they show the little sign uh, the little street sign that says 34th Street and then right behind it it's Macy's I said wait one second is the what I, I had no idea. So they would have, if Macy said, not only do we not approve of this, <laughs> but we don't want you making any reference. So it would have been like, you know, Miracle on Fifth and Main, I guess. You know, just a place. Yeah, that that would have been really rough. Uh, yeah, they'd be like, <laughs> Miracle on the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Oh. But yeah, so this movie, um, I, I think a lot of uh, n- people who grew up in the 90s is more familiar with the the remake of this movie, which we won't dive too much into, but I, we will touch on it a little bit. Uh, the 1994 feature uh, starring Richard Attenborough, uh, Elizabeth Perkins, Dylan McDermott, J.T. Walsh, uh, Timothy Shea, James Remar, James Lee, Simon Jones, I don't know why I'm leading up too much uh, to Mara Wilson. Matilda, yeah. Uh, but also William Wyndham. John Hughes actually adapted uh, the script, uh, and it was directed by uh, Les Mayfield. Uh, but for that movie, Macy's refused to give permission to use its name. Uh, and so they replaced the name with a fictional 
store called Kohl's, spelled C-O-L-E, apostrophe S, not the K-O-H-L-S. Uh, and Gimbal's no longer existed in 94. So yeah. so they changed that name to Shoppers Express. And and that movie was received pretty well, too. And, and that was when we were talking about reviewing this movie. I assumed that that was going to be the one that we would be reviewing. But, but you told me that the one that you feel uh is more beholden as a as an adaptation is the original 1947 one yeah so this is one of those like every year movies for me it's one of my mom's favorite christmas movies i've watched it in classes so i've seen this like countless Mm. times I, i honestly cannot count that high but i've seen it a bunch and i forgot totally about the matilda version of of the movie um so when you brought it up i was like what other one? Oh yeah no 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 natalie wood natalie wood um so yeah that was interesting to see just how many different incarnations of this story are out there uh but yeah this to me is the classic yeah there are moments in this that make it the classic for me and that's like when they're bringing the mail in like oh. you can't help but smile when they're bringing all of that mail in and you know the judge is just so great and i i mean edmund gwynn is santa claus so it's that to me has that iconic feel i think like with the remakes and stuff it's hard not to... It'd be like if they remade Citizen Kane, you know? It'd be like, oh, you're doing an impression of that. This, to me, is is the original because it has so much magic in it right? that the only person that could possibly ever replace Edmund Gwynn um, is someone that inadvisedly started a, a dinosaur park. Um, that's, that's the scale. It's a tall order. It really is. Now, what I vaguely remember just about this movie whether it is the 94 version or even knowing that there is an older version that the 94 version was adaptation of i know it to be mostly a a court drop uh and so i i was surprised to see it's kind of like this i had the same remembrance of this movie that i feel like a lot of people have about the original home alone and when people think about home alone they think largely oh it's about those pranks and all of those traps that he makes it's just like yeah i mean that's like the last 20 minutes of the movie but like the other hour and 10 is all about the setup this these relationships this character uh, development and establishing all of these things and then the ending is all the traps and antics i was convinced that miracle on 34th street was 12 angry elves basically uh just like it's all about like the santa exists or not and i just thought it was a drama about that and i had no inkling that like that's just like the tail end of the movie uh because I, I was just like it felt like I had never basically seen any version of this movie after being so surprised by what ninety percent of the movie was made up of. Yeah, because you have all of these other characters that don't believe. Like, what what would happen if someone claimed to be Santa Claus? Like, sure, they would react just like these characters did in a lot of cases. But all of them, you have to buy into their stories so that each one has that Judge Reinhold weenie whistle moment and that's the miracle right like that's they talk a lot about faith and that it's you know believing in something that common sense tells you not to and it it doesn't make sense and so that's the miracle aspect of softening these very hard hearts 
and that doesn't happen quickly. So it's got that that long-term storytelling aspect to it for that very definitive climax of the, the court drama ending. But I love all of the one-off scenes that this movie provides of characters that I think if it were made today, it really wouldn't have that approach to it because you get like the... It's the it's the mail sorter that saves the day. And it, mm. one scene with him, he has an idea, but we see that and move on. Uh, it's not like we follow the mail sorter from the beginning and his life working at the post office, which is probably the thing that plays the least these days is how positively they speak of the postal circuit. <laughs> uh, but you have these one-off scenes like the, the postal worker or yep. even seeing the family of the um, the prosecuting attorney. Like that's... It just has a different feel to it of like, we're going to tell exactly the right amount of information for you to have enough context to understand why this is happening the way it's happening, instead of extrapolating out a three act for every single character, just give them the one, give the audience the one scene they need. Um, So I really do. I I appreciate how much story they're able to economically pack into uh, what is really a pretty quick film for everything that happens. Oh, yeah. It reminded me. I'm like, oh, that's why people talk so fast that time, because there's so much information to get in. (laughs) I got a lot to do. Let's say a lot of things to sell. Well, he's Santa. Well, he thinks he is. Well, it sounds like he needs to talk to a doc. I know a doc. He's upstairs. 34th floor. Don't skip it. But we're going to slow it down in great detail when you describe how you got your wife drunk to get her to agree to let Santa crash on your couch. Yeah, so this movie was just so, so delightful. Just terminally delightful because it's one of those Christmas movies and maybe it's just my life stage. Maybe it's just the year it's been, but almost every Christmas movie I've been watching, I have Mm. been left in tears. I'm just like, it's just so beautiful. We're all pretty raw. Yeah. I mean, I just I just really appreciate this because this movie kind of did an interesting thing that I think not a lot of Christmas movies can do. And I'm going to bring up like the Santa Claus with an E as one of my major case studies. This whole the whole premise of this movie is like, hey, there's this guy who thinks he's Santa. And because of that, there are some real-life implications that are happening. Uh, These two rival toy stores are actually coming together because of these choices that this one man is making. And that is the miracle. The miracle, spoilers, the friends we made along the way. That is happening. Other stores are putting other people first. And, like, this whole kind of selflessness ripple effect is happening throughout this community of people. But it all hinges on the idea that this guy believes that... He is Santa. Then he encounters someone who doesn't believe he's Santa and thinks that there's problems with him doing so. And then, you know, you have to bring in a court of law to try to determine that. And then his attorney is just like, listen, we're going to prove this as well as we can. And it's just such a interesting sweet spot where it stays grounded in our reality without going into the world of magic fully kind of like the the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus kind of deals with, or Santa Claus with an E, the Tim Allen one kind of deals with similar things, except he is Santa Claus and without an E. Yeah. Mm. There are some more negative and challenging real world implications that follow that because essentially everyone thinks that he is 
absolutely lost his mind and it even deals to the point where he's going to lose custody of seeing his kid and it's just like oh well this is kind of really sad in this world whereas miracle on 34th street basically this is all a long-winded way of me to say this miracle on 34th street is to santa claus as the dark knight is to batman where they do a good job of grounding this fictional character into our reality that allows us to believe the existence of said character. Oh, and both the Santa Claus and Dark Knight are secret puns within the titles. So yeah, I that's the real connection that I got from that. No, that's really interesting. What you can't see is just a, just a tons of tinsel all, all over my wall making conspiracy theory hooks to... Yeah, sugar plums and candy canes. It's just imagine that. But also a bat signal made out of Christmas lights. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's that's such a great point because what this movie does, what Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street does, is take a miraculous person and put them in an ordinary world where most Christmas movies and Santa Claus, great example, Elf, great example as well, where. Mm. You're taking a miraculous person, putting them in into normal circumstances, but we know that they came from supernatural or fantastical worlds. So that totally changes your journey because you know they're right. The beauty of this movie, and I think why it you know won the awards for screenwriting and, and all that, is that it's possible. It's possible that this is. A crazy old man. But you have to have that possibility for you to ask yourself, what would I do in this situation? Am I, as a viewer, right. willing to believe? It's circumstantial evidence. Like, maybe, yeah, I'm sure, maybe he is just really, you know, convincing. He believes it. But I, I love that they don't definitively say one way or the other. And even the court ruling, it's, oh, because these people say so, that's good enough for me. And the last shot of that movie where, I mean, it's the spinning inception top, uh, just the cane in the corner. Could be, couldn't be. That's the point of the faith of it. Faith is not required if you just show everybody him making the trip from the North Pole and saying, I'm done being married to Mrs. Claus. I don't know. They didn't really address that. But (laughs) if you showed... I'm going to go take a walk. Right. If it opened on Santa and being like, I'm going to New York this year, going to watch the parade, like we would know and faith is not required on the part of the audience. So I think that's the really artful way that they that they told this, keeping the audience's point of view very much in mind through everything, providing clues along the way. Um, but to me, and Ricky, you were talking about how like every Christmas movie is just hitting you straight in the feels. To me, uh, there's a moment in here that is still very heartwarming, but when you dig deeper and research it, even more so. And that's when he is um, speaking to the Dutch girl who has been adopted, and they don't translate it. Uh, but did you look up what the, what their conversation says? No. So No, Grace, I can't I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to make it through. So it's untranslated on screen. It's just a moment between this girl and Santa, but... You know, Chris Kringle asks her what she wants for Christmas, and she says she doesn't want anything because the greatest gift she could get was being adopted by her new mother. <gasps> I know. 
I know. And they could have put it up there, but the subtitles would have felt like it was some kind of contrived moment. That's just between the two of them. So good. Oh, that's beautiful. Not watching this movie, especially not this original version of this movie before, I was pleasantly surprised with the, just the whole story. Like, the, the whole narrative and the, the character journeys. Uh, something that I thought was really great with uh, Maureen O'Hara's character uh, was her justification for keeping her daughter not believing in Santa Claus. I'm just like, this, this is solid character motivation like this the whole thing just it, it it's it's just all very convincing and all very grounded and i just was really yeah appreciative of like the journey that everyone went on and it also just really made me understand like why they would try to remake this movie and also why it's so difficult to remake the movie uh, I, I was watching a uh, a little bit of the 94 version on, I, I want to say Freeform when they were doing their uh, 25 Days of Christmas. And yeah. I was like, oh, so they're just they're just remaking the movie. It's just in color now. Uh, they're hitting all the same beats and it's just kind of different a little bit. And I'm sure that there are pivotal points if I watch a whole movie that it would be. Well, there's small changes. Like I think the Dutch girl conversation is sign language Beautiful. instead. Like, But all the beats, I think, are basically the same. Yeah, it's it's just so magical in its original form. And that's something that I, I really, really appreciate. Yeah, you're right about the character development. Every character has something that they want and they make it very clear um, and we won't go through all of them. But I think what's really impressive is, you know, you throw Santa into the middle of a movie, you kind of expect him just to be Santa, but even he has something that he wants. He says, right. you two are a test case. If I can win you over, there's still hope. Mm. So he's not just hanging around like he's in town and doing all this, like, because He's there to save Christmas. He said for the last 50 years, he's seen things get worse and worse. Less people are believing. Like, what can I do to soften hearts, make people have faith again? So it's um, just so well-developed. And and I also like how he was able to deliver on all the gifts for all the characters. Like, the house at the end. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's when I was just a wreck. Just like, stop, that's my house. Like, ah, it's her house. It's beautiful. Yeah. Then cut to the North Pole and the elves are like, he takes two weeks before Christmas off and he shows up Christmas Eve to deliver what we may... Oh. Let's strike. We're striking. <laughs> I do love that moment, though, of he gets invited over and he's like, oh, tonight? I can't. It's Christmas Eve. Like, oh, that's right. He's got to go to work. Uh, but the gift that I thought was the most thoughtful gift uh, was the gift that the audience got. And that was with a giant novelty bow wrapped on it. A giant head cannon. Head cannon. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. There's glitter and and snow. Oh, I don't know what would come out of a Christmas head cannon. I brained my pharynx on that. That was... <laughs> mm. Uh, Head of Cannon is a part of the show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Um, so my biggest piece of headcanon is that there were, this is not headcanon, but this is uh, head true. Um, 
so they they said that there were in talks of doing a sequel to this movie, uh, but it just basically never happened. Thirty mm, Fifth Street, yeah, believable events went. on Thirty Fifth Street, yeah. No, <laughs> and so my headcanon is that this basically opens up the floodgates for a bunch of other fictional characters uh, being accepted and realized in our everyday world and so there's basically this miracle on 34th street universe that they can start making basically just throughout the whole year of like there is someone who believes that they are cupid uh and uh someone who believes that they are arbor day why i don't know why that's the next holiday (laughs) that's the one that's it that's you're going semi-alphabetically Reverse or, or alphabet. The tooth fairy, which I feel like would somehow be a horror movie. Yeah. I mean, teeth. They're dealing with teeth. Yeah. So you're kind of combining the idea of like Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. with Guardians of... Yes. Gahul? What was it? The Guardi- Rise of the Guardians. Rise of the Guardians. That's what it was. Yeah. I, was thinking, I got the owl thing in my... And with like Once Upon a Time. Yes. The show. Okay. That'd be awesome. That's, that's yeah. how I would say it if I had those words. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. But yeah, what is a real life tooth fairy? I mean, that that would that's a great idea for a series, Ricky, where the tooth fairy is a dentist in this town. You would probably just directly have to rip off Once Upon a Time, and they don't know that they are these characters. Yep. And that's why the world is so dark and scary. Mm-hmm. And they have to go out and bring cheer to the world. Yep. So... Disney Plus. I know you just got done announcing a bunch of stuff. But, uh, you know, <laughs> once is over. Go back to the well twice. So, you know how to get a hold of us. P- please and thank you. Disney loves a good well. They love a great well. They love it. Mm. That's a great idea. So your headcanon then is that Santa exists within this larger world. Yes. You think you're the only one that can bring holiday cheer? <laughs> Oh, that's why you always stayed through the credits. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I love that. Uh, my headcanon started real dark, got bright. It's a Christmas movie, Grayson. <laughs> and then got dark again. No, the idea was, uh, at first I was like, maybe this is all just the dream of the, the drunk Macy's Santa from the beginning. Um <laughs> I didn't like that, though. I didn't like that. So my my real headcanon, though, builds on the conversation that we've already had, which is if Santa is real, that means that many of the other things that we know about Santa have to be real, including the elves and Rudolph and all of that. So there are other movies that support the reality of those mm-hmm. elements, which would put them in the same world. So that means a movie like Elf is the spiritual sequel to Miracle on 34th Street. That that could be, like, he went back and Buddy the Elf was there. And, like, those are both these characters existing in our world, so they could be connected. The really dark part about all that, though, is it means that Tim Allen's The Santa Claus shows us the death of this Santa Claus. Oh, no. Timeline-wise. So... Merry Christmas? Is that, is that how to land the plane? Well, land the sleigh? Well, yeah. well, here here's the thing that I think was interesting. And so my wife, I didn't know this, apparently has the MCU 
deep fanboy equivalent knowledge of the entire Santa Claus franchise. Oh, wow. And so she was telling me all these different things about like, well, that Santa didn't necessarily die. He just stopped being Santa because... Didn't his body dissolve? His body went somewhere else. Oh, he's in like a WandaVision (laughs) universe. Got it. Uh, Okay. And so basically the idea is that because in the third Santa Claus is called the Escape Clause, Mm -hmm. any Santa can basically retire. They, they, they can go back and undo time and they can undo themselves being Santa and basically start their life all over again. Oh, wow. Almost a la men in black. Like they can more or less neuralize themselves through Christmas magic, uh, through some kind of, you know, other Christmas magic. And so that being said is like, it's just basically the power of Santa is a legacy role and it can be, it is transferable. And so basically when he put on the suit and started becoming the new Santa. I see. I see. So, huh. So that could then mean that that Santa from Miracle on 34th Street isn't wrong, but maybe just an ex-Santa who has since passed the torch on to someone else depending on which version you go with. Because if we go with the um, the Tim Allen Santa Claus, which came out in 94, same year as Miracle on 34th Street, we have... Oh. Yes. So it was Richard Attenborough that fell off the roof. Okay. And so it kind of like... It's a, it's a story that's happening at the same time. So he fell off the roof. He doesn't have the power of Santa, but he still thinks he is. Basically, the whole transfer is happening yeah. differently, basically. Or, or in parallel. So those are two parallel stories, and that is how I bring about that headcanon. Santa DNA. It's in the fabric. Wow. I mean, that just supports what we've always said, that Santa is a time lord. 100%. Uh, so he's regenerating. Yep. He's swapping faces. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bag is bigger on the inside. Yeah. All of those feats uh, in one night across the globe. Yep. In his slartus. <laughs> That's what I've always called it. <laughs> well, we've played that out. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Here's the thing. I'm going to... I'm going to put it out there. I honestly think that this would be so beautiful. And I'm just going to go ahead and go with it. I would love to see Morgan Freeman play Santa Claus. He has played so many beloved older figures. I think that Morgan Freeman being in that role and just bringing so much Christmas joy to so many children, I think would be so beautiful. Are you referring to God as a beloved older figure? Because it fits the bill. (laughs) Fits the bill. I am. I'm saying exactly that. Um, yeah, Morgan Freeman would be interesting. Yeah, and I, mm. I, I think Morgan Freeman would be a really great Santa Claus. But I also think that um, I would love for them to do a a spiritual successor where they basically take all the actors who have ever played Santa Claus together and basically have them in a like. It's basically of raising the stakes of like a miracle on 34th street uh two and it's called mistaken identity where it's all of them 
believe that they're Santa. And so basically it just becomes more. It's still like the first half of Miracle at 34th Street. But the last half is all all 12 Angry Men. (laughs) It's just all like, no, well, this person was over here at this point in time. Yeah, but here's these. Like, I just think that that would be so fascinating. It's the Santa Con. The Santa Con. Who's going to be left holding the bag? Oh, see, okay, I take all that back. I have a pen around no, here I, somewhere. <laughs> I, don't. I take all that back. Here's what I want. You just made me realize it. I want them to do Miracle on 34th Street, but it's Miracle on 34th Street, the Christmas heist, and it's just everyone who's ever been in any of the Oceans movies. Ah, uh, yes. And it's just all about how Santa pulls off. And heist is spelled H-I-C-E-D. Heist. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. We just push an idea till it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> uh, I went with Emily Deschanel just because I, I, I think that uh, Maureen O'Hara looks so much like Emily Deschanel. Um, and then Henry Cavill for the lawyer. Yep. Um, he would have that commanding court presence. Absolutely. Uh, for the Natalie Wood character, uh, for, for the gr- little girl, I had Daphne King, but like, Logan era. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I just watched the most recent episode of His Dark Materials, and I'm like, man, Daphne King, very good at being skeptical and angry. Um, and then for Santa, the the big part, and unless you ask the studio, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Kelsey Grammer. I think Kelsey Grammer would be. Oh, Kelsey Grammer would be so great. Really awesome. Santa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Ed Asner, because, bring him back from from uh from Elf. Could do that. Oh, but yeah. So I let's see, yeah, Ed Asner, Tim Allen, um also I guess technically oh yeah, Paul Giamatti, um uh, from Fred Claus. Mm, mm-hmm. Fred Claus Chevy yeah. Chase. Ah and uh Billy Bob Thornton. Those those are all actors who have played Santa. Uh, and Tyler Perry, if you um, include Medea I mean, yeah. in the Medea Christmas. Man, we got Richard Attenborough, too. For yeah. The, oh, yeah. And Kurt yeah. Russell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And Leslie Nielsen apparently did that in two Santa movies. At, at one point, I was trying to make Nightmare on 34th Street work as a remake. Okay. Um, it's just a real fever dream. Again, probably from the first Santa. Uh, but... Being the court drama that this is, my second take title for this was Claws and Order. Claws and Order. That's the Hallmark movie version of this. That's an early lunch, everybody. (laughs) Claws and Order. I love that so much. (laughs) It's just a jingle bells. Ding, 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 ding. I love that so much. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's solid. All right, now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. Now, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1947 movie Miracle on 34th Street? To recommend Miracle on 34th Street, uh, I pull one of the most important quotes from the movie, uh, which is, Christmas isn't just a day, it's a frame of mind. And I recommend this movie because it is a great way to get in that Christmas frame of mind. This year especially, we've had a lot of challenging events. It might not feel like Christmas for a lot of people, not doing the traditional things, 
that they've always done with friends and family. But this movie helped really get me in that Christmas frame of mind. And I think that's why why I took two weeks to watch it little by little and keep going back to it and, and refresh. Um, but this movie will only become more relevant as time goes on. It's about keeping that Christmas frame of mind, not getting lost in the commercial rush of it all, which there are tons of movies about like, not the commercial rush, but what's special about this one is that it's really about believing in something that seems impossible. And I think we can always use a little more of that. One of my favorite scenes is when uh, Chris Kringle is, is teaching Natalie Wood's character how to have an imagination. He's describing imagination that it's, uh, he calls it a country all to itself. It's the imagination. And that really changed, I think at an early age, changed my perspective of what Santa really uh, represents. It's not toys for toys sake, because the greatest gift you can have is your own imagination. The toys are merely a way of facilitating that state of play, of helping you make believe in this world. Uh, Because when we believe we can do things greater than what the world tells us to, that's when we're able to grow. That's when we're able to do the seemingly impossible or miraculous. And so after an incredibly difficult year, probably one of the hardest years many of us will ever go through, I am uh, highly recommending a movie that allows you and encourages you to believe in the impossible and to believe in miracles. So that's why I recommend Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, beautifully said, Grayson. Uh, I feel like the Miracle on 34th Street original movie has just so much heart in it because I had never seen this version. And what can tend to happen with other more, I guess, well-known stories is that you just kind of expect it. Like, uh, for example, like A Christmas Carol. Like, I like A Christmas Carol in almost any iteration, but I also know it pretty well. Uh, and during Christmas time, as, as someone who is a big fan of like Christmas holiday specials, watching this version was very refreshing. Uh, and I liked seeing the world in which uh, it was operating in because it was our world. It was our real world that it was meant to imitate. And I also felt the same thing that you felt like when you are able to have someone uh, kind of. Uh, believe in something that is for the good of others it was he just had a ripple effect like when santa decided i'm gonna tell people where they can get these toys for their kids because it's for the kids and these huge businesses multi-million dollar corporations are making moves because of this santa and I think it was just really uh, inspiring and uplifting to be reminded of like how those changes can be made so long as you decide to do the good and put the good into the world that uh, you see possible. And I just thought that that was very beautiful. It made me cry so many times. Uh, and so I, I recommend it for that. I think that uh, I think that this movie. Um, was a real miracle all into itself. Uh, And it's also just, you know, it's just beautiful. It's good. I wish I had a very clever or witty thing to say at the end of it, but it's just beautiful. I really, really liked it. 
And that is our review of the 1947 movie Miracle on 34th Street. Let us know what you remember about the uh, original or any other version of Miracle on 34th Street on our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating review on your podcasting platform of choice on a scale of one to five Macy's, how would you rate this podcast? Like one Macy's, I mean, that's, mm, mm, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that is one building. F- five Macy's, it's probably, they're probably competing for, I mean, the same audiences. Yeah, you start to cannibalize your own business after a while, unless they're different kinds of Macy's. Like you have Macy the store, you have William <laughs> H. Macy, you have Macy Gray. Also, it might just be a combination of words like Macy, yeah. Like, you may see Miracle on 34th Street on Disney+. Plus, Or if you're, you're kind of like, you're, you're spelling Macy's, like M-A-C-Y, mm. and then apostrophe S, I guess, is, you know, together. But M-A-C-Y-S, that is five letters the last time I counted. So maybe also oh. spell out Macy's. It's like playing horse, but right. a rating scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Except in this case, when you spell it out... You win rather than like in horse, where when you get horse, you lose. Yep. So please give us five stars. Huh? That's what we're really asking. <laughs> and this is our final review of 2020. Uh, we hope that you have a very happy holidays. Hope you are on your way to having a very Merry Christmas. Uh, and we'll see you. You won't see us because this is a podcast. We will, you will hear from us in the new year. And congratulations to everyone listening to this on Christmas Day. You can now go watch Wonder Woman. Yep. Oh, that's right. We got to oh. go watch Wonder Woman. Oh. Should we have done like a, like a Wonder Woman related? Nah, I'm not going to overthink it. <laughs> Macy's. Macy's. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>